I'm Ashley Asti, and this is I'm Curious Podcast. My guest today is Sol Mercado. She's the kind of person who lights up when she talks and who's connected to her gratitude. At 19 years old, Sol was locked up and given the death penalty. After years of experiencing abuse and violence at home as a child and turning to gangs for love and protection, she felt hopeless and broken. She fought the death penalty for five years. But it was unexpected love in an unexpected place from her niece and nephews in a California state prison visiting room that reminded her she's worthy of love and encouraged her to explore her own trauma and take accountability for the harm she's caused. Sol is now home, which is wonderful. It's been less than a year. She works as a nursery technician in Oakland, California at Planting Justice, and as she tells me, she loves her job. She's got a beautiful spirit, and she's expecting her first child. This is a moving conversation. Let's dive in. I guess we'll just dive in. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I feel like we have to begin with this sort of transitional and exciting moment in your life. So how long has it been that you've been home and out of prison? Uh, I just recently got released on December 10 of 2020. Mm, so, so like seven months. A few months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it feels like it hasn't really been seven months <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess part of that was still a little bit during like pandemic season two. So you kind of came out to that, right? Yes, I got out in the middle of the pandemic and it was just like different, you know? Mm, yeah, probably yeah. not what you expected. Uh, what's your, I guess, overall feeling been? I'm sure it's probably a mix of feelings, but how have the past few months been? Oh, <laughs> I've been having... I've experienced a lot of different feelings, a lot of different situations and stuff. And so it goes up like from excitement to like, at first it was kind of fear because I didn't know how it was going to be after doing 16 years. I didn't know how it was going to be when I, uh, when I got out, you know, I heard a lot of things about, uh, you're going to face this challenge. You're going to, you know, face this, you're going to face that. So of course there was a lot of fear involved. So, um, but then as I, uh, I'm the type of person that when I face things, um, I try to face, um, face them in an open mind with the open mind and then like, um, trying to get used to stuff, you know, and trying to deal, um, trying to be as positive as I can with the situation. So, um, it was, uh, I had a lot of like, uh, when I got out, I was, of course I was scared. Um, I ended up in a rough neighborhood in Oakland. So you know, so I was scared and then I was excited that I was out. I, was, I surprised my family. My family didn't know I was getting oh, out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, as soon as I got out, we called them on video and like on the phone and stuff. And that's when I told them that I got out because I wanted to surprise them. Mm. And uh, um, so it's, a, it's been a lot of like emotions, you know, it's been a lot of things to um, every day is a new challenge. So I've been through from scared to happy to sad to dealing with a lot of things, you know, in my life. 
Mm, and I think that like you're human. So of course I, you know, you're going to have this full range of existence and experience. Uh, when you're first facing that fear after 16 years, was there something in particular, like just trying to acquaint yourself with the world again, that's scary. Or like, what was, what was really at the forefront of like that fear? Well, the first uh, fear was that I was going to be on parole. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I've heard all these horror stories about the uh, parole agents and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, my God, how is it going to be? Are they going to violate my parole and send me back to prison right away? Oh. I, you know, I felt like I was going to be walking on eggshells, you know, mm -hmm. because um, I didn't know what to expect from the parole agent. never been on parole before. It was my first time ever uh, being in prison. So um, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, like, I was like, oh, my God. And then when I met my parole agent, I was just, like, kind of hesitant. I was like, oh, my God, how is this man going to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And it came out that he he was, um, I had a really good, um, I have a really good parole agent. Um, he used to be a, a correctional officer in a men's prison. So he kind of relates, uh, he knows uh, um, how hard, like, us, like, like, work on ourselves and fight to get out and stuff. So he... He was, you know, he was really good, like very helpful and stuff. And now the pro agent that I have right now, he's like really good too. So um, that helped me to ease my fears. And, um, and it made it more, uh, it makes a huge difference when you have a pro agent that's like working with you, that's like um, understanding, that's not like, uh, um, like after you to trying to like trying to get, you know, come right. after you. You know, so um, he understood that I was down for 16 years uh, since I was 19. Mm. And uh, um, so he helped me a lot. He gave me a lot of advice and stuff. And so that helped me a lot to feel like, oh, my God, I'm finally free, you know? Yeah, because I feel like mm -hmm. otherwise there are all these stipulations on parole that it could also be fear inducing. It's like you don't want to be sent back there after 16 years. And oh, my gosh, so 19, yeah. you were 19. How has the world uh, shifted in your perspective? Uh, in those 16 years oh man so so many things change like when I was out like I was young I was acting out I was fighting game banging um you know um I couldn't even walk down the street you know I couldn't even walk to the street I, I had to look over my shoulder because I was I was constantly in trouble you know I was constantly fighting with rival gang members and stuff so now I'm able to come back to where I, I grew up and I don't have to watch over my back now I don't have to be in fear of, am I going to get shot? Am I going to get stabbed today? You know? So I felt like, like the whole environment is just different, you know, like a whole different vibe because I see it now from a whole different uh, point of view. Right. Back then I was a youngster and I was a, in a criminal mindset. Today I'm like trying to abide by the law and I'm trying to just live my life, you know, so you could see the world in a whole different, in a whole different perspective, you know, mm. now I'm able to uh, do things that I never did before or do things that um, I wasn't able to enjoy before, but then now I can enjoy them because I have that clear mind and I'm like oh my god I could just live life right now I could just mm. talk to whoever I want yeah. you know I don't have to worry about who's from here who's from there like I could be me oh I love that I can be me and I feel like that's a lot to carry when you're you know 15 16 mm -hmm. 17 with that fear and feeling like you can't be yourself and can you walk down the street it's a lot for anyone to carry but especially when you're a teenager and just processing the world and we'll, we'll get into that yeah. a little bit um 
I did want to ask you though, because we, you and I had spoken on the phone the other day and I was again asking you like, oh my gosh, these like past few months, what has it felt like? And you told me the story of, of something that you had prayed for and all these things you dreamt about while you were incarcerated. And you mentioned your niece and her quinceanera. Can you tell that story? Oh my gosh. So, okay. So my niece, um, I got incarcerated in 2004, uh, December, 2004. So I was only 19. And uh, uh, my niece was, uh, my sister My sister ended up pregnant like two years after that. And uh, uh, like a year or so after that. And then, uh, so my niece, I never had, I've only seen my niece through visiting and, and stuff like that and talk to her on the phone. And I've always like prayed to my, I, I've always prayed, you know, and say like, God, at least I just, you know, I've missed so much in their life. And this little girl is so close to me. I can't even explain it. Like from when she was in my sister's belly, like she would hear my voice and she would stick her little hand out and I could see it through the belly. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, and when she started learning how to walk, like she ran literally across the visiting room and came and hugged me, mm-hmm. you know? So like I had this connection with her. So I've always prayed like, please, at least let me get out by her 15th birthday. I want to be able to experience that with her. And I want to be able to like help my sister to get that together. So I got out in December and I was so happy. Like I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to be out for her birthday. <sighs> so all these months I've been like, oh my God, it's going to be her birthday. It's going to be her birthday. So this little girl wouldn't decide on a dress. She didn't <laughs> want anything big. She wanted something like, she wanted something just simple, you know? Mm-hmm. And because of the pandemic, she was scared that, you know, because she's asthmatic and stuff like that. She was scared to invite people. So we said, okay, we're going to do something in the backyard. And uh, so all the things that I learned in prison to decorate and all that (laughs) stuff, I helped my sister decorate. We stayed up all night and I was so happy. I was so happy. And mind you, I'm pregnant right now. And Mm. I stay up all night. (laughs) My feet were killing me, but I was so happy to be able to just do this for her and be able to experience that with her because I'd never spent any birthdays with her. Mm. And I helped her go and get her dress and everything. She finally decided on the dress and Mm. everything. And I helped her and I paid for it and everything. And my sister was, oh my God, somebody finally got her to get a dress. (laughs) You know? So yeah, so that day I was able to, to experience that with her and um it felt so much joy I was just crying I was so emotional and she said why are you crying I said because I'm finally I, I pray really hard that you know that for me to be able to be out here with you on your 15th birthday and be able to see you like turning from a little girl into a young woman mm. and she was like she just hugged me really hard she said I'm so glad you're here mm. you know and that meant so much to me you know oh yeah, I have <laughs> my hand over my heart. I'm so grateful that you got to share that moment together and, and, and now mm-hmm. going forward uh, to, to continue to share life together. When she, you know, your sister was pregnant, essentially, when you, you went to prison. I imagine getting to like to hear your niece's voice or have her in the visiting room is both something that helps you like have this sense of life and this child, even if it's not your own child to live for, but also is there this sense of grief and mourning because as much as she might be pulling you through you're also not able to be as close as you'd like yeah it's it makes a huge difference too when you're able to have visits and to be able to see your family and like for me it was really hard to it was really like it, it was very emotional because I knew I was missing a lot of their lives you know like when they were babies when they were born like growing up 
and stuff like that. I miss so much, you know, and I, you know, and whenever they will come visit me, I will try to have as much uh, as a bonding time with them, you know, because I felt that that's all the time that we got. And uh, um, and that helped a lot because uh, me and my niece and nephew, we have a really uh, close relationship. Mm. And they don't like, they went through that process too when they sat down and they, they had questions, you know, why are you in prison? You know, and um, I became a youth mentor in the prison and I was able to sit down with them and use those skills and talk to them and tell them, you know, I did some very bad things. I didn't listen to my mom. I didn't know how to deal with things uh, in my life. And I ended up being in a gang and doing things because I wanted to fit in because I wanted, I didn't know how to deal with my anger and, um, and those issues of being sexually abused and stuff like that. And, um, and I didn't go in depth that much in depth, but when I, at the end, when I was done with them, when I was done talking to them, I was like, do you have any questions for me? And they're like, no, like, we understand that you did this and this and that, and you ended up in prison and now you're paying for it, you know? And, but we love you and we accept you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that to me, it helped me so much that, you know, that when I came home, that relationship was already built, you know? Yes. I didn't have to come home and just answer some questions. I was able to answer it to them while we were sitting in the visiting room. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the best place, but they, these little kids were so smart and so, um, like, they were so understanding and so loving, you know? And I didn't understand, like, um, to me, I felt like I didn't deserve that because in my mind, a long time, you know, I felt like, like I committed a crime. I'm this horrible person. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve this. Mm. I don't deserve that. But today I know that I deserve to be loved, you know, and I deserve this little kid's love, you know? Uh, yeah. And I, what a gift that they were able to, you offered to them and they offered to you that acceptance and that love, no matter who you are and, and what your past has been, that you deserve to be loved. You are worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. let's, you know, you had said you were open with them and you would talk to me on the phone, how one of the things that's important for you to discuss with people is that you didn't just wake up one day and decide that, you know, uh, air quotes, you want to be a criminal, like <laughs> that there, there are things mm-hmm. that happen in your life and that shape you and get you to this place. So let's, let's go back there a little bit. Let's start. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up and, and what that was like? Okay. Uh, my parents separated when I was three years old. So that was like first like trauma you know my my father was an alcoholic and um there was always abuse in my family so I grew up seeing abuse and violence in my family and um I experienced um sexual abuse from the age of five to ten and um and then when I came to California again my mom my uh my mother took me and my sister away and she didn't even let my dad know that we were leaving And uh, so we came to California. We didn't have no family here, nobody. So I started hanging out with the little kids in the um, in the neighborhood, the neighbors, and I didn't know they were gang members. Um, I ended up getting raped again, uh, age 13. And that's what led me to shutting down. Mm-hmm. That All those things were piling up. And I didn't know that I was already having anger issues. I was fighting in school. Um, I didn't know that I didn't understand back then that that trauma was affecting my life and that was making me be angry and try and take my anger out on others. Mm. So um, I didn't ask for help. And when I asked for help, I asked my mom for help and instead she beat me. So um, yeah, yeah, so she started kicking me out of the house and all this stuff. So I became a runaway. Um, I joined a gang at 13. And uh, at that moment, I felt like the gang members were protecting me, like they were loving me because 
they have my back no matter what. So as a little girl, I'm like, oh my God, like they love me. So I have to do anything to, um, for them to keep loving me. So that came fighting, that came um, game banging and all that stuff. And eventually from one thing, it led to another. Um, my violence kept escalating from fighting, from using knives, from using bats to guns. And, uh, um, and all that, I learned that all that around my, my environment. Right. Because I grew up seeing it as something normal. Mm-hmm. So once you see you grew up seeing something as normal and nobody else tells you, hey, that's not right. Because I never had nobody give me positive, positive advice and yeah. nobody telling me, hey, don't do that. Everybody around me kept telling me, oh, yeah, let's go do this. Let's go do that. So to me, by the time I, I turned 19 and I, you know, and I committed my crime that um, to me, that was normal. That was something that was like oh, I'm earning my stripes Yeah, as a gang member, mm. you know? Yeah. So uh, I, okay. at the beginning, uh-huh, at the beginning of when I first got arrested, um, I turned 19 on November 30th and uh, I committed my crime December 1st and I got arrested December 3rd. Mm. So it was just a few days, um, you know, and, I, and I, I was incarcerated ever since. And that was my first time ever getting arrested, ever facing the consequences of my, of my decisions. And, um, and that's when I started, like, I was fighting the death penalty for five years and, um, and didn't, you know, at that moment, like I was still angry. I was still not dealing with, you know, with what was going through, what was going on with me. And when I finally started seeing the groups in the prison and that the therapists and all that stuff, that's when I finally started getting the help that I needed. Yeah. Cause when you were growing up and you asked your mom for help, you've been through this like devastating abuse. And then she beats you or she's kicking you out. I imagine your sense of love is warped, right? Like, what did you understand love mm-hmm. as when you were growing up? Um, I didn't believe in love. I didn't believe in trusting people. Um, the, um, the only time that I ever felt love and that I felt trust was in the gang. And it was a, the, the false sense of love and the false sense of trust. You know, um, so, you know, so I didn't know what real love looked like you know, and not even from a parent. Yeah. And uh, um, so that's how I like it. It, my, it was a, a whole, um, it was a twisted way of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't have that as a kid. Yeah. And I, I, mm-hmm. I hear that from so many people that they find this sense of belonging in a gang because you're being like, essentially celebrated for something that maybe in the past, you never got celebrated for being who you are. And so when you're getting this mm-hmm. affirmation, and also, at 13 years old, I can't even imagine at 13 years old, like having to make these big life decisions and choosing and understanding who's around you or what you're doing. I just feel like there's no way to truly comprehend at 13 years old. Yeah. And now, you know, now I'm experiencing motherhood. So, you know, like I'm on I'm a, I'm going to have a baby. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, like, you know, like, I know that parents don't come with the manual and right. stuff like that, you know, but I like in my mind, like, Everything that I went through, I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna protect my child as much as I can, you know, mm. as much, you know, like, because like I don't like to me growing up, I didn't understand why a parent will neglect their kid or beat them or like not be there for them, you know. And then I will see other parents that were loving, and I'm like, what is wrong with me, mm. you know? So a child's self-esteem gets low on the ground because they don't feel loved, they don't feel accepted. So that's when they go to other places to find acceptance and belonging and love. Yeah. So, you know, to me, experiencing motherhood, 
you know, I'm going to give my child love. I'm going to give my child attention. I'm going to, you know, and I know it's not going to be easy, you know, but I'm going to do the best I can because, you know, I feel like my experiences have led me to becoming the person that I am today. And I just want to, you know, I just want to give my child what I didn't get as a child. Mm, Yeah. And all this healing work that you've done, you're going to pass that on to your child, which is going to be beautiful and create ripple effects, both for you and the other people Mm -hmm. in your life. And of course, for your child and any relationships that they develop. Um, When you found out you're going to have this child, you've been home from prison. Like, what's the feeling? Like, what's the feeling that comes over you at this opportunity to like give new life and, and yet also in the midst of like this transition in your life? You know, like, it's so amazing, like, because I've always, too, like, I've always prayed, like, oh, my God, I want to be a mom, you know? And the doctors always told me that, oh, it was going to be hard for me to be pregnant and all that stuff. And then, bam, like, I get pregnant. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm having a new life. And I feel like I'm being blessed with some, like, Mm. you know, like, from all the horrible things that happened in my life and the horrible things that I did, because I was a broken person, you know, I didn't know how to make good decisions and stuff. But today, I feel like uh, all the work, all the hard work that I've done, I feel like I'm being, con- con- uh, how do you call it? Um, compensated. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like, somebody lost their life. And I will never forget that I will never stop honoring him. Mm. And, um, you know, and that's one reason why I want my child to know uh, when he gets old enough to know my, what my decisions were so that he don't end up hurting nobody, you know? So um, I feel like it's been a blessing and it's just like a whole different experience for me. And it's just like all these things that I've been experiencing see, like, since I got out, it's just being a gift, you know? Mm-hmm. A huge gift that I'm, I don't want to take for granted ever, you know? Yeah, and I... I love that you even had the sense even before your child's born that you want to have this openness and have these conversations. Because I think so much when we close things down and don't get to talk about it, that's going to be, um, and I'm not, I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but I imagine it's continual revelations and lessons and challenges and blessings all mixed together. Uh, so I'm excited oh, for you. <laughs> <laughs> I get so emotional. You know, you get so emotional when you think about it. I'm like, oh my God, I just start crying. I'm like, oh my God, the hormones. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I imagine this was something you didn't expect. So you had mentioned before uh, you fought the death penalty. So I, I imagine at one point you didn't know not only if you were going to get out of prison, but whether you were going to be killed in prison. Yeah. Um, all those five years that I was fighting the death penalty, I lost hope. I was still fighting. I was still in denial about my situation. Um, just to so interject for a moment. So when you were sentenced for your crime, it was originally the death sentence. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I fought it for five years and I was able, and they were able to, um, um, take it down to voluntary manslaughter, which was 31 years. And uh, um, yeah, so I, you know, I thought that I was going to get out in 2045, but then when the SB 261, the Youth Defender Bill passed, I qualified for it. And that at that moment, I didn't realize that, you know, all the trauma that I've been through um, was going to, you know, like I was able to talk about it and like that it was going to help me, you know, that it was going to help me and that it was going to um, in so many ways, because like with the Youth Defender Bill, um, it's children who have been like to trauma and stuff like that, you know, that um, they they got to um, 
they, they got to make this bill because they realized that children, what's wrong with these children that are making decisions. So when we realized that, oh, you know, I went through this trauma, I went through this, I went through this, you know, and you grow from it and you heal from it, like they're, you're able to get a second chance, you know, from us, I've gotten like really excessive sentences. Yeah. So I think that bill like really changed a lot of people's lives. Um, and in a positive way, because there was a lot of us that lost hope. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, me even still like, like 2045, that was a long time. I was going to yeah. get out like when I was in my forties and I've been in prison, like all of my adult years since I was 19. And when I was able to have this chance, like, I was like, oh my God, like, I'm going to be able to get out even in my thirties. I'm 35 now, but I'm going to get out a little bit more younger, you know? And um, I'm going to be able to have to do something more with my life. When you're 19, 20, whenever you got sentenced, uh, did you, one, I guess, did you spend time on death row after that? And what does that hopelessness do to you? Because, you know, if you're sentenced, whether to life or, or death, I imagine it's hard to get programming. Or you just sort of feel like there's no point. How does that uh, shape you or affect you, how you live each day? How you like, what's, what's going on in your mind? Uh, well, I was in the county jail fighting my, my case for five years. And that's when I was fa- fighting the death penalty. Uh, fortunately, I didn't end up uh, having to spend any time on death row. Um, I got sentenced to 31 years for voluntary manslaughter. Yeah. Um, but um, on the first years, I was just like without hope. I was just like, oh, my God, they're going to kill me in here. Mm. I'm young, you know. And uh, uh, so at that moment, I was just playing victim with myself. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I was just like, poor me, poor me. But I didn't realize the damage that I caused. I took somebody's life. I took a young life. Um you know, um, Umberto was 18 when I took his life and I just barely turned 19. So I never not once in those years, I thought about, oh, I took somebody's life. I took a young life. He's never going to have a chance to do anything in his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, until I took until I took the time to really look at myself, that's when I realized, like, stop playing victim. Stop saying poor me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole lot of line of people that the ripple effect um, of the thing, the bad decisions that I, that I caused, you know? And um, so now looking back, um, I was dealing with everything that was going on with me still losing hope and not being in denial about my situation, blaming others. Um, You know, I was like, I was really broken at that time, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's no excuse too, you know? Um, I, I, you know, once I asked for help, um, and I was able to start looking into myself and looking deep in myself and what was wrong with me. Why would a 19 year old girl would take somebody's life, you know? And once I understood that, once I looked deep inside of me, I realized, okay, I didn't just wake up one day and took somebody's life right. just because, you know, mm. I feel like there's probably no true healing without accountability, which is what you're talking about. You're <laughs> taking accountability. Uh, was there a moment mm-hmm. that shifted that you were, that turned you to like, I need to start looking within. Was there something that happened that started shifting this focus for you? Um, <laughs> here comes again, my niece, uh, you know, my niece, when she started learning how to talk and she went to visit me in prison, she said, she said, Titi Sol, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Mm. And that right there, it hit me so hard 
And I was like, I came back and I cried. I was like, this little girl doesn't have no, has no idea what she just said to me. She has no idea where I'm at, what I did. And, you know, and when she said that to me, I'm like, this little girl looks up to me. Like, I can't be doing this, you know? And that's when, and that's when, um, and when I, and another thing that helped me realize um, that it was when, where's the homies at? you know the homies are not there you know they want they need you when they need you and then they you know once you're doing the time they turn their back on you right they let you down you know and for me when I was out on the streets I was always that homegirl that Mm. that was always having everybody's back I didn't care I would fight with guys I would with girls I didn't care I because I didn't value my life I put myself in dangerous situations and I didn't care if I lived or die I was on a suicide mission I was on a suicide mode. I was willing to die for the hood. And that's how my mentality was. And when, when I went to prison, when I got incarcerated and I was sitting in jail fighting this death penalty, where's the homies at? Yeah. The ones that were with me testified against me and the other ones turned their back on me. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, those are two things, two major things that helped me realize that, you know, like I need to change. I need to do something with my life. Yeah, I was talking to someone else the other day, a woman who spent uh, eight years in federal prison, London, her name is, and she was talking about the difference when you go to a men's prison and a women's prison, you go to the visiting room. And oftentimes she said, like, you can hear a pin drop in the the visiting room of the women's prison, but in the men's prison, you know, the women are there, the kids are there, everyone's visiting. Mm -hmm. Did you find that in your experience too, that not a lot of women had the acts, like had people there able to show up and support them? Yeah, I met a lot of women that didn't get visits and that didn't have no support from the outside. And um, and nobody like helped them send money or mm. nothing like that. And then when I would see about the guys, the guys have all these women, all this family taking care of them, all these visits that they have to take turns to come visit them. And, um, and you know, like, and when I, we had the first transgender move into our prison, mm. um, she was like, you know, do you realize that your guys, you know, one thing that bothers me is seeing that the men has all the support and the women don't. Yeah. You know, and um, that's when we were able to be like, that's true, you know? Mm. So you see that it's sad, but true, you know, and, and the women get more let down than the men. Mm. I'm also wondering, because I, a lot of men that I know who are incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, they've been able to get pen pals and like, or there's even interest in like women who might be interested if they meet partners or future like husband, uh, uh, wives through pen pals. Did you find that too? Was it, did women have access to lots of people wanting, not lots, but people wanting to write? Was that similar? Um, I seen a lot of women um, going through that whole pen pal thing. Yeah. I never really liked doing that because um, like to me, um, a lot of, um, a lot of people lie to the pen pals, you know? Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, and I saw that and I didn't like that. Um, so I never really liked doing the pen, whole pen pal thing. But I've seen a lot of people that um, that get pen pals and stuff like that. But not a lot of women get mail. You That's know? what not I was wondering. Yeah. Get, yeah, the men get mail all the time. Yeah. Because I've, hear, I've heard different stories of, like, people um, that tell me, oh, yeah, um, I get all this mail. I get all these letters. And I'm like, man, I, there was time where I wouldn't get mail from like months, you know, yeah. my family even barely wrote me. Yeah. 
so um yeah it, it's it's sad it's it is you know there's a lot of women in there that that have to work and that do their jobs in there um and that's their only source of income and that's their only source of like that the help that they get you know and communication is expensive you know in prison like the phone calls even just the letters everything adds up commissary all of those things and you're getting paid i imagine what like cents on the dollar yeah um i've had jobs where you get paid like they're really hard jobs and you don't get paid nothing Really? And then other jobs you get, yeah. And then other jobs you get like eight cents an hour wow. and stuff like that. The, the highest was like 50 cents, you know? Well, like what were some of the jobs hour. that you did? Um, I did, um, I was um, like janitorial. I worked in the kitchen, uh, prepping and serving the food. Um, I did, um, I also did, uh, I was a, cl- a clerk, a secretary oh, for gosh. the captains. Yeah. Um, so, and then I did uh, skill, uh, silk screen printing. Mm-hmm. I did, um, I sold, I also worked in the fabric side where we uh, sold California, uh, California flags, US flags and banners and CHP, uh, the that California assume, Highway Patrol. Right, there's, oh, they're, okay. So are they selling these things or? Yeah, they sell them. Okay. Yeah, and they use our labor. That's how um, they use our labor to, to sell these flags for like really expensive, you know? Mm. And uh, um, yeah, so they had and like, and they like, it, we, it was basically like slave job. We used yeah. to call it this, we used to call it the sweatshop because they would work us and work us and work us. And um, so we could get the production out because the more production that they get out and the orders they get filled, they get, they got more money, right. you know? So, yeah, so um, I did all that too. And then I did carpentry. Oh, wow. uh, the laborers program, like the, um, the carpentry uh, side. So, you know, so I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of different jobs that helped me gain a lot of skills, but there was a lot of jobs where I did all the work for the captains, all the work for lieutenants and the staff, and they just sat there and did nothing. Mm. And they were men and I was just a woman, you know, and they were like really hard jobs. And, uh, um, and I got nothing, uh, like paid eight cents. Mm. or sometimes they will refuse to give you a raise you know or like a good letter of recommendation saying hey she's doing this she's doing that she's you know so it's like it's you know it's it's a lot of um things in there that um i'm glad that they passed that bill where the um like it's kind of like a slave um like basically no more slave work for the inmates yeah because they do they do pay us a little to nothing and for doing like hard work right and the power dynamic is so like the difference the gap in between like if you refuse to work because they're paying you eight cents an hour you're probably i imagine like thrown in cells like they're in the hole or, or you get some sort of reprimand which could make your sentence longer um so like you have i feel like there's mm-hmm. no agency yeah, um, if you refuse to go to the job or like you, like, so let's say you don't feel good yeah. and you don't go to that job, you'll get a write up and you'll get more time to your sentence. Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, or if you go and you get a, a boss that it's like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And you say, like, I can't do it. You know, like it's too heavy for me or something. Oh, you're refusing to work, mm. you know, and they will write you up and they will take your date, you know. So to me, um, 
I've, I feel like I've always had like good job skills yeah. to where I never miss work. I never like, um, I will get up early and be at my job on time, even if it was in prison, you know? Um, also too, because I didn't want to get a write-up because my, my thinking, I'm like, I want to get my stuff together so I could go home. Mm. You know, that was my goal to get my stuff together so I could go home. Yeah. I want to also go back to, you know, we were talking about trauma and you recognizing that starting to confront it in your 16 years of being in prison with other women. Did you find that they had similar stories? Of course, not your story, your, you know, your story is unique, but that many of them experience abuse or trauma. Um, and that's part of the reason that they ended up there. Um, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because um, there is a lot of trauma um, between women, you know, a lot of women have been abused by their husband and a lot of women have been uh, sexually abused, abused by their parents, neglect, all these different things, you know, all these different experiences that they've been through. So I, what I experienced in the prison is that one broken person hurts another broken person. Yes. So when there's a lot of fights and stuff in the prison, it's like one broken person is hurting another broken person because that person hasn't dealt with their, with what they're going through, mm. you know, and, and some of them get out and they continue to come back because they haven't dealt with those issues. And, um, and that was very, and I will see that all these years, I will see that. And I'm like, I need to work hard on myself. I need to work hard on myself. I'm not perfect. Mm. I'm not perfect. You know, I fall, but I get up yeah. and, you know, and I continue, but, you know, there is a lot of trauma. There's a lot of, um, and, and the bad thing about the women's prison is that there is not enough self-help groups. They're always full. Like the men's, I see San Quentin. San Quentin has mm-hmm. so many groups and so many uh, support from the outside, like different organizations and stuff. But when it comes to the women, we don't have that much support. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like we were trying to sign up for a, a self-help group and that we really need it. And it was really full for the whole year. So how can we get that help and, you know, and prepare and look and look deep inside of us and stuff like that and heal from that when we don't have access to that. Mm. So that's one thing I will see from the men's prison that they, you know, I will see that St. Quint, like St. Quentin has a lot of programs and stuff like that. And I, I wish they would bring that over here. We really need that here. Like, um, so that's, that's one thing I noticed too. Do you have a, like a personal theory as to why that is, why the women are not getting the attention or the support, whether from the system or from the outside in the way that the men are? Um, I think like San Quentin, it has more support because it's right there in the Bay Area. Right. <laughs> like we were in the, yeah, we were in the middle of nowhere in yeah. Chowchilla in the little Central Valley, you know, right. like where nobody even wants to go there. Yes. <laughs> you know, but the Bay Area has a lot of uh, access, uh-huh. you know, uh, like San Quentin has a lot of access to different things in the Bay Area. Okay. And uh, um, and we were in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Know? Okay. That, no, that, that, that <laughs> does make sense. And that's why even because different men's prisons across the country don't have the programming either. Um, but San Quentin has lots of people who are available to like come in and do these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, I guess, <laughs> like, where do I want to go with this? Uh, I, I do want to ask <laughs> you about some, some more things like being out now, but um. If you could describe prison or like your, whether it's either your day-to-day life or if there's just a sensation, if like you close your eyes and you think back to that moment, like those years, is there a smell that comes to mind, a feeling, like how would you describe it more viscerally, like that experience? And I know that's, it's 16 years. It's a big question. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) there's a lot of things that 
come back to my mind that you know like that you have to things that you have to deal with without wanting to like people you have to deal like different personalities like the noise of the door popping the announcements the um one person that doesn't get their way they start screaming acting out and then you have to pay for it you you know everybody has to pay for it um because we all get locked down you know um like the food in the chow hall, it was disgusting. There were sometimes I would hate going there because sometimes like I worked in the kitchen and I will see that sometimes like um, one thing I experienced that I really, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to get out. Like sometimes they will feed, trying to feed us things that were spoiled, like things that were past like their date. And they're like, oh, it's still good. And they will cook things in the main kitchen. And by the time it got to us, it was like five days later. Wow. And it was served to us. Yeah. So um, that's one thing, one smell that, and it will stick to you. That yeah. smell will stick to you, that food. And it was so be so disgusting, you know? Mm. And like, having to deal with, I, I was in a cell with eight beds, you know? So I had to deal with seven other roommates, seven different personalities. And um, God forbid you said something because it's offended that other person, you know? So you have to deal with all these different personalities and then, that's when you really have to use your tools and be like, oh, my gosh, should I fight this person today or not? Mm. You know, because and that was an everyday struggle because there was a lot of people that that were either trying to control you, bully you or like trying to put you down because they were still broken, too. Like a lot of these people haven't really worked on themselves and we're all in different journeys of our healing. Mm. And uh, um, so those are things that I had to deal with on an everyday basis or like the cops being um if they felt if they had a bad day at home they will come and take it out on us mm. sometimes they wouldn't let us come out to have day room or let us use the phone to call our families or like um or like example leave us outside when we wanted to go to our appointments like leave us outside in the sun for like an hour waiting waiting for them to get up to let us out and god forbid you tell them oh um can i get out the gate i'm late for my appointment no, when I feel like it, you're going to get out, you know, it would be like a hundred degree weather and stuff, mm. you know, or they really pour down raining or really cold and they will leave you waiting out there. I do, I do not miss those things, you know, mm. now I have keys to my door. Now yeah. I have, I, it's funny because I have keys to my job. Now I have keys to my house yeah. to where I live and I have keys to my mother's house and mm. all these keys. And I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like a janitor right now you know because <laughs> like I never I haven't had all these keys for like a long time you know because in prison you get no keys mm. you hear the keys from the cops but and it's but you have to wait on them to let you out mm. now I could go wherever I want now I could do whatever I, I you know like it's yeah. just like like a sense of relief you know like mm. Oh my God, I could go wherever I want right now. I don't have to ask the cop for permission. I don't have to like fear that they're gonna take my date or that they're going to, you know, that somebody's going to do something and I'm going to pay for it, you know? So I feel it, it, that freedom right there is just amazing, you know? Yeah, and I think it's those little <laughs> things that I wouldn't think about, like that you get to hold your key, you have keys to your house, you, you know, that I would take for granted. And then they must, it must feel the sense of like joy or freedom or pride. Or you had mentioned mm -hmm. that you bought your niece the dress like that what about, what was that moment like when you're like this is my money I've worked for this I've paid for this and I can now pass this on to my niece 
you know, my sister was going to buy it for her, you know, and, uh, um, but she wouldn't make up her mind. And one, and when I, and my sister works, um, she works as a security guard. So she works a lot of hours. So she, I was trying to help her out to get things done. So, um, she wouldn't be so stressed out because she didn't have that much time. Um, so I took her, so I told her, I said, you're going with me and we're going to go see these dresses. Right. So when we went, she's like, but I don't know. I don't know. I said, look, quinceañeras don't come every day. That's once in a lifetime thing that you're going to experience and you're going to look back at it and you're going to be like, wow, I'm glad that I did this, you know, or, or if you don't, or if you don't want to do, you know, you're going to be like, I regret not doing this, you know? So I told her, and she's like, but I don't want to wear a dress. I said, look, you're going to get to be a princess for one day. Mm. I said, I didn't get a quinceañera. Your mom didn't get a quinceañera. And that's why it's so important for her, for you to have your quinceañera, because she wants to give you what you did, what she didn't get. And uh, um, I said, just enjoy this moment. Just enjoy this moment. I said, let's go pick a damn dress. I said, <laughs> and she's like, okay. She's like, okay. So we started looking around and there was a few that I was like, oh my God. And she's like, okay, I like this one. <laughs> so when she tried it on and she looked herself in the mirror and she goes, okay, I think I could do this. Aww. You know? So I was like, I, and before she changed her mind, I was like, okay, let's buy it. Let's buy it. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I ordered so I ordered it and I pay and I paid for it right there. Mm-hmm. And then I told my sister, I said, uh, so I bought her a dress and she's like, what? Mm-hmm. I'm like, and I, and I, and I first, at first I felt so bad because I'm like, I went ahead and did something that her mama wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I said, look, she wouldn't make up her mind. And right then and there, she decided. And I just took, I just took it and run with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's like, and she's like, Okay, I said yeah because you know it's getting to that point. It was just a few days, you <laughs> know, minute, like, yeah. not even two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And I told her, I said, you can't leave things to the last minute. You gotta, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a lot of things going on around here. As soon as I saw her wearing that dress when she tried it on, I just started crying. Mm-hmm. Like in me, it just flashed all the like seeing her from a little girl, you know, seeing her from like a baby and stuff, and it just like. All those, all those things flashed in my head, and I was just like, "Oh my God!" But the little baby that mm. I remember, she's no longer a baby, and she's like, "Why are you crying?" And I said, "Because I wanted to see this moment so bad." <laughs> <laughs> when she's older, when a mother, she'll she'll understand this someday, or an aunt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when I took uh, when we ordered the dress, and they called us and said that it was back, I took my sister with me, and I said, "Come on, let's go get it, so you can see her wearing it, right?" Mm. So when she, I said, don't cry. I said, don't cry. Cause I cried. <laughs> and she's, when she saw her wearing it, she's like, oh my gosh. She just stayed like, oh my God. I cannot believe my baby girl's this thing now. Mm. I can't believe she's 15. And she started crying, you know? So we both were able to experience that moment. And when we saw her with her little crown, the, you know, like the, oh my God, it was so hard to find her shoes. <laughs> she would not decide about, she wanted to wear tennis shoes. Oh no. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> so yeah. we found her some shoes and we had to be like, what size are you? She goes, no, don't buy me no shoes. And me, I'm my sister were, were like okay thank you bye and we bought the shoes you know and they were like okay we bought you some shoes because you're not wearing tennis shoes <laughs> you know and, but she liked them oh yeah she good. really liked them yeah and she looked like a little princess on that mm. day and when her dad saw her oh my god it was just like he was like everyone's oh crying like yeah. a little girl <laughs> yes yes 
<laughs> so I felt it was all worth it, you know? Uh, and, and even that you got to have these like normal like experiences of like, not fighting with your knees, but you know, like working through like the shoes and the dress. I just think those like daily experiences that you didn't get to have um, and maybe expected that perhaps you wouldn't. Like, I'm just, I'm just so happy for you that you're getting to share even those <laughs> little things. Um, so yeah, you, you, would t- okay. So I should say this, you and I connected because our friend Rashid Lockhart connects us, he knows both of us. And we were both, when we talked on the mm-hmm. phone, you and I, we were like, oh, he's such a good guy. <laughs> we were bonding over Rashid. Mm-hmm. And you had told me that he had helped you even before you got out. How did you start preparing once you knew you were going to get out? And well, I guess we'll start that. How did you start preparing when you knew you were going to be getting out? Okay, so um, because of the youth offender, the SB261, I was, um, I, um, they afforded me, um, I was able to have a parole hearing, just like a lifer. So I had to get all my stuff ready, like paperwork and like really like it's called connecting your dots. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what connecting your dots is like what led, what happened in your life, in your childhood that led you to do this, this and that, that you ended up right here. What is it that you, they, they ask for insight? What is it that you understand now who you are now and who you were then that if the person that you are now, what make um, they want to know what is it about me that I understand now about my about my past that um, that if, if they let me out, that I will not do the same thing over again, right. you know, that I will not go back to crimes and all that stuff. So I the, that process was um, I had to work on that. And then um, I was able to, um, I was involved and in, still involved with Inside Garden Program, which is a program, a garden program that they have in the prison. And they're just amazing. They, um, we do like garden, I learned how to do garden design, gardening, and I learned to, uh, that I learned to love the garden and mm. planning and doing all that stuff, you know, so to me that I didn't realize that, um, that I had a connection with my family through that because all my family um, worked in agriculture, you know, so they helped, they were helping me to get a job because when you have a parole hearing, you have to show like, like that you have resources that you have, like, if you could get a job before you get out, that's perfect. Um, you know, all the support system. So they introduced me to Rashid. Rashid was part of Planning Justice. Right. <laughs> and Planning Justice, they have a nursery, a plant nursery in Oakland and a farm in El Serrani. So I had no idea who she was. And he wrote me a support letter and a job letter. And uh, um, and then one of the ladies, Angelica, she's like, hey, Rashid wants to connect with you to get to know you before you get out so that um, once, you know, he could pick you up and take you to the job and show you around and all that mm-hmm. stuff, you know? Because he's the one that's helped uh, uh, working with um, with the boss and all in the committee to trying to get you in. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So when um, so when he sent me, uh, they sent me his number and stuff. I call him, and from the very first moment, um, I felt like I clicked with him. Like Aww. he was like, he told me he like his background. Like mm-hmm. I told him, and so we found a lot of similarities in our background. Yeah. And uh, um. So, you know, he was just released from doing 18 years mm. and I was like, oh my God, like th- from that moment, he became like a mentor to me. Mm. He became like a friend, a brother and everything, you know, like, um, so like, he's always been very respectful to me, very open, very like, if any tough love, he will give it to me, you know? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, when, when, like, when they ask us on the inside, like we have to have an accountability partner, he has been that accountability partner, mm. uh, uh, partner to me. 
because he understands my journey. He understands yeah. what uh, my challenges and stuff because he went through that too. Yes. So he, we call each other bestie, Aww. you know, because he's like, because we could talk about anything without feeling judgment, you know, and he gives me advice and he gives, and, you know, and he's been my support system. So he's the one that introduced me to, um, to planning justice. And now I work at the, uh, the nursery in Oakland. Oh, I was wondering um, if that's what your job nursery. is now. Yeah. 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 So because of him, I got my job at planning justice. Mm. I'm a nursery technician in, um, in Oakland. And I really love my job and, um, and he's still in my life. We talk uh, mostly like all the time. He's going to be a father too. And I'm going to be a mom. So we've been like talking about, you know, us, our journey. And now like, we can, like we're like, oh my God, can you believe it? We're out, we're living our life and we're having a different life and now we're going to be parents. Oh my God. You know? So he has a beautiful wife that he's that you know, and now he's gonna have a baby and everything. And it's just like I'm so happy for him. And we just like we just encourage each other, you know. Yeah. Like he's a positive person in my life, and uh, and I'm really I feel really blessed to have him in my life. Mm, I I have a feeling he feels the same way. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I just adore Rashi. And so when he said, you know, you have to talk to Soul. I think you just love her. <laughs> I trusted him implicitly and he was absolutely right. You both have such beautiful hearts. Um, so I'm glad that we all got to <laughs> connect in that way. Um, and also, I that, me too. yeah. And then you have that job with planting justice and connecting to like plants and nature and the earth, which must be healing and a, and a beautiful thing to get to do as well. Um, Okay, so I have I have a fun lightning round for you in a moment. <laughs> questions. But I guess the the last thing that I want to ask before we get to that is that um, while you were incarcerated, you had all of these dreams and things that you were praying for that you'd be able to live them into fruition someday. Now that you're out, are there there new dreams that you've set that you're imagining for yourself? I want to be able to travel. Hmm. I want to be, you know, like um, all the times that I was inside, I just like, I just wish for like, I didn't wish for nothing big. I just wish to come out and just have a normal life. Yeah. And to me, a normal life means no game banging, no crime, no violence. Um, just like, you know, like get married, uh, have kids, yeah. be able to uh, visit my family again. Um, I haven't been able to fulfill that dream of being able to go to Puerto Rico and visit my family mm. again. I have not seen my father and my brothers and sisters since uh, 98. Mm. So um, I was this close to getting that achieved, but they did my, they were, they put in my t- paperwork for my transfer to uh, to this county, to Contra Costa. And uh, that was put on hold. Mm. So I couldn't do both, but my sister and my mom, they're in Puerto Rico right now. And I was gonna this close to going uh. with them to go visit my family. So I want to be able to travel and visit my family because I have a huge family mm. and um, in New York and Florida, everywhere. Like I didn't realize that once I got out, like my family on my dad's side, they all started contacting me. And mind you, I have like 20 something uncles and aunts from my mm. dad's side and all over the United States wow. and Puerto Rico and stuff. So I want to be able to travel and visit them and get to know them, you know, and I want to be able to eventually like visit places I've never seen before, mm-hmm. you know. All right. Well, we're going to hold space yeah. for that. We're going to envision it <laughs> and manifest it so that you can travel and visit your family. Oh, that'd be a blessing. Um, all right. Are you ready to have a little bit of fun? Hopefully <laughs> just have some playful okay. questions. Um, okay. So my first question for you on, in our, our lightning round <laughs> is, so Uh-oh. you know, you worked in the prison kitchen and you saw some things that you didn't like, 
now that you're out and you don't have to eat prison food, is there like a meal you really like indulging in or maybe some cravings now, now that you've got a baby coming? <laughs> <laughs> From the prison? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Like what can you, what can you eat now? Like that you're like, you really love um, food that you get to eat that was not prison food. Well, I've tried different types of food. Um, but because of, you know, being, being pregnant, I've been getting a lot of like yucky, like, ugh, like I can't eat that. Uh, fried chicken I can't eat fried chicken right now yeah but um but one thing oh my god it's just horrible one thing I prayed that my one of my co-workers they're they're in re-entry too like me some of them are in re-entry and they've been to prison and all that stuff and they're like I was like oh you know where I'm craving a spread I'm like oh my god well how horrible I'm I didn't even really eat spreads. I ate spreads like the first years of my stay. And then I, I was so grossed out with them. But that's what I craved the other day. And I was like, oh, no, spread. That's horrible. <laughs> so what, but, um, what is that? Okay, it's spread is like a mix of like you put a noodle, you put chips, you <laughs> put sausage. You could put um, like uh, pork skins. You can, and they, they, um, they put a whole mixture of stuff and okay. they make it into like this noodle. And it's like the our poor man's food in prison, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, um, and oh my God, and I will get so like grossed out in the prison about it, you know, because I got so tired of eating them. Mm-hmm. And the other day I was craving it. I was like, oh God, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> you can blame the baby, maybe yeah. pregnancy cravings. <laughs> yeah but I've been trying a lot of food and stuff I just can't eat fried chicken right Right. now okay so maybe in a few months you'll be able to have fried chicken again (laughs) um now is it true you have a little bit of a commute to work yes oh my god like a um like an hour that's what I thought okay so how do you pass that time are you like listening to music are you listening to a podcast like what do you what might be going on in your like headphones if you get headphones going Okay, I love listening to music. I listen to Spanish music all the time. Ooh. And uh, yeah, so I've been listening to that work and then uh, coming from work and stuff. But, um, you know, like the commute is crazy and it's hectic. But I'd be thinking like, I'm so grateful that I'm in this commute and I'm mm. not in prison, you know? Yeah. So like I could be stuck in traffic for like an hour, you know, but and it'd be a long way to go. But and I'd be tired and stuff. But I, at the end of the day, I'm like, whew, I would not trade this for the world, for any prison in this world, you know, like, I would not, I would rather be here, stuck in traffic, listening to music, and feeling sleepy, than to being stuck in prison. Hmm. I'm so, so glad I you're feel here. like, I, I, yeah, there's a lot of things that people, like, complain about, and, and I'm like, and that they take for granted, and I'm and I look around and I'm like, wow, like I appreciate a lot of things because I didn't have those for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, that's like I love going to the marina because I see the water and the water to me is calming. And uh, um, and a lot of people don't, they're like, oh, I don't like going down there. I'm like, dude, I love going down there because I didn't see that for 16 years, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so I try to, like the little things, I try not to take them for granted because, um, you never know when you're going to lose them. You're not, you never know when you're not going to have them again. You know? Yeah. It shifts your perspective. Um, the next mm-hmm. one, speaking of food a little bit, but <laughs> if you can have <laughs> dinner with anyone, 
living, dead, famous, not, who would you, who would be your dream dinner guest? Oh, <laughs> a celebrity? Sure. Yeah, you can pick a celebrity. Uh, well, first with my family, like my whole, my dad, my mom, everybody together. Mm. And then uh, with celebrity, it would be Jenny Rivera. You know, she passed away a few years ago, but she was amazing. I feel like she was an amazing person and she had an amazing story. Like she wasn't afraid to share about being uh, being sexually abused, being abused um, at home, you know, like uh, by her partner and stuff like that. And she liked to help others. Mm-hmm. So I feel like uh, if I will have that dream come true, it will be her. Yeah. And I feel like that's, mm-hmm. that's a little bit of what you're doing now by sharing your story, uh, helping other people and helping other people feel less alone. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think storytelling is one of the reasons it's so powerful. So I appreciate you for that. Um, all right, I've got, I've got two more for you. Uh, let's say you're having a hard day, you're stuck in traffic, whatever it might be. Do you have any like words of advice you give to yourself or like any like uplifting self-talk that helps you through those challenging moments? Um, I'm almost there. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that absolutely is helpful. <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> That's what I say. That's what I say. I said, oh, I'm almost there. I'll be there in 20 minutes. Yes. I'll be there in 30 minutes. <laughs> and, I, and I say that to myself. I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, I'm almost there. <laughs> you can start counting down. You can do this. You can do hard things. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. The last one, and we sort of, we touched on this just a moment ago, but you want to add to it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you're most grateful for in this moment. Whew. For my freedom and for all the beautiful things that it, are happening in my life even the bad ones um because I'm experiencing things that I've never experienced before like motherhood you know like I'm gonna have a child like I never imagined me being pregnant you know Mm. like uh being close to people I love and being able to see them every day Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, I am I'm so grateful for you I'm so grateful for your honesty and willingness to share because I imagine it's not always easy and these are some of the, I mean we've talked about some blessings but we've also talked about some hard things and so I don't take that lightly and I'm, I'm honored that you were willing to share I'm grateful for Rashid for connecting us and now that I get to have you in my life too and hear about your journey um but thank you so much for joining me soul thank you so much thank you for having me you know and for giving me this opportunity oh absolutely Thank you.